You're listening to DraftKings Network. This message comes from NPR sponsor Atlassian. Together, some impossible things aren't so impossible. In fact, they become possible. That's why over 250,000 companies work together using Atlassian software, like Jira, Confluence, and Trello, to tackle a few of their biggest challenges. With a little imagination and a whole lot of collaboration, the possibilities really could become endless. Atlassian, for projects impossible alone. Learn more at Atlassian.com. I don't understand why we are jumping at the bit, chomping at the bit, jumping at the opportunity, living under the rock to grabbing onto the ceiling to hire this man. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan, and I am joined by, dare I say, a large Celtics fan still trying to see what will happen to the Miami Heat. Who's the, Who knows? Sarah Sibian has been embroiled in sports all around her. Sarah, how are you today? Yeah, I'm still as salty as ever, trying to have a good attitude. I did the Jonas Brothers Peloton ride this morning, and I feel a little bit more zen. It's time to get over some issues. Wait a minute. Is it the, is it their new album? Was that what they, the ride? There was a few songs from the new album, but there's also like Burning Up, SOS, Year 3000. They hit all the classics. Because the new album is like straight coffee shop, except for Waffle House. It's definitely summer vibes. Yeah, yeah. I actually okay. kind of like it. I never really listened to them before, but like the new stuff's not Oh, interesting. Bad. So look who's joined the chat. See, if you <laughs> listen to someone's music that you haven't heard before, you might actually like it. Well, it was Dana. put on a playlist. We had a boy band power hour the other night because my friends thought the Jonas Brothers were Harry Styles. So <laughs> then I was like, okay, time for some education. There is a ton of Taylor Swift music on the Too Many Men playlist. I've listened. I literally have listened to it. I know like a handful of songs now, like Karma. I know that one now. I understand the ref- references, and I am I right here. I am learning all about the reputation era. Okay, I've done my studying. Just wait to see what arrives at your doorstep, like today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I hope it arrives very soon. We are not too many men without the athletic Shayna Goldman. She's already here with us, but Shayna, say hi. Hi, um, I need to make an important announcement that we are hosted by Emmy winning <laughs> analyst, Allison Lucan. And we have been informed that you didn't make a speech when you won your Emmy and that you made Scott do it. So um, let's hear it. We need we need your acceptance speech. Well, OK, first of all, Scott is supposed Scott Malone, who is first. How did you find that out? Scott told me. What? You- all right. <laughs> See, now we're in trouble. Here's the thing. So Scott is the producer of our show. He is a tremendous talent. And that is what happens is the producer makes the speech. It would be bad etiquette if I had gone up there and made the speech. So it is proper Scott would that like he can make a speech. And we love Scott. So we are going to give Scott what he wants. I, I am going to kill Scott, who I'm actually seeing later. So Scott, you're in trouble. Who initiated this conversation? You or Scott? Scott. I'm throwing him right under the bus. <laughs> Emmy winning, Scott. Well, we want to hear your beautiful words. Mm-hmm. Scott <laughs> is right about this. Yeah, on your Emmy, which Rich keeps calling an Oscar. He's like, Allison's an Oscar <laughs> winner because he doesn't know what Emmys are. Allison won the Grammys. <laughs> I assure you, that award will never be mine, ever. <laughs> there is no singing that needs to come to this voice. I would have simply said, I would have said, this is a huge honor. And... I first and foremost must thank not just the people you see here on the stage or in this booklet, but every single person at Root Sports. We sit with a team of truly, truly talented professionals who blow my mind every day with all that they can do and contribute. I'm just up there saying words. It's those people who really make our show what it is, especially our producer. I wouldn't have said this now that I know he threw me under the bus. Scott Malone, who is a genius, not just in terms of his understanding of what we're trying to do with our storytelling, but how to do it in the most effective and creative way. And of course, we are nothing without the Seattle Kraken, who have given us just a great two-year ride, a wonderful organization that I'm also very, very, very proud to be a part of. And on a personal note, I would like to thank Bob Condor, 
John Bradford and Katie Townsend for having belief in someone who'd never been on TV before and has never quote unquote played the game and giving me a chance to have this wonderful opportunity. Thank you to everyone who voted for us. Cheers. Amazing speech. Really great. We love it. The Oscar winner, Allison. (laughs) Oh my God. Here we go. Now this is what happened. Now my parents know, did I tell you about this story about how the last time something happened and they sent it to like everyone to the far reach of the earth. Now I'm starting to get texts from like my cousins. This is a disaster. <laughs> That's the worst. That one is like the worst. It's like, I don't, I don't, I know it's like a nice gesture, but it's like, please leave me alone. Everyone's dead to me, Scott. You're dead to me. Everyone's dead to me. All right. We're enough. proud of you. Well, we are. You. Sometimes you are always saying these nice words about Mm -hmm. us and you deserve them right back. Even if maybe they make you a little uncomfy, they're very true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have to pump the tires of our, our, our star because you're ours first track and second hours first. Always ours. Always too many men till we die. Hashtag. We should get tattoos. I'm kind of scared of tattoos. We should get tattoos. Oh my God. Here we go. Well, I anyway, like a we're going to do stick and poke at the draft. Charm. <laughs> I'll get a nose ring with a little, you know, too many men charm that just hangs down. Oh, my God. I'm getting too many men tatted on my forehead <laughs> or my ass. <laughs> All right. Too many men is here because we'd like to share our thoughts on hockey. So let's do that. Shall we? Enough of this trope of insanity. Here we go. Sarah, what time is it? It's time for bit o news. Bit O News. In addition to the fact that Scott Malone is in big, big trouble, our other Bit O News is coming from a lot of off-ice activity first. And before we get closer to the actual hockey that is still being played, let's look at some news that has popped up around the league in the past couple days. Uh, As always, we are recording on Monday, so let's look at some news that broke just this morning first. At the player side of things, Cole Caulfield signs an extension with the Montreal Canadiens. It's an eight-year extension worth $62.8 million. That is, if my math is correct, exactly 100000 less per year than the captain, Nick Suzuki. So that young core getting locked up. Uh, Cole Caulfield has not been on the ice. He had shoulder surgery February 1st. Um, and while people are happy that he's staying with the organization, at least from what I have seen in terms of initial reaction, people are kind of all over the board on this one. Do they like it? Do they like the term? Do they not like the term, but they like the player? Um, our good friends over at Evolving Hockey felt surprised by this. They said they thought that Cole Caulfield was going to sign a bridge deal and that if he had signed an eight-year deal, it was going to be much less at uh, about six, not, I shouldn't say much less, but $6.7 million, which is less than what he actually got. Shana, when you saw this deal come down, evaluate it for us both on keeping the player with the organization, again, that young core getting locked up, but then also the actual terms. And is this the right thing in terms of the numbers that were signed? Yeah, I think for one, it makes sense because the Canadians are a building team. They want to build this young core. And we know that core, you know, it, it starts with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. So you have those two fundamental pieces locked up. It makes sense why they'd want to do that. They want to have certainty. They want to have him sign through his prime. All good and wonderful things. Plus, he's a short king, and we want to see him cook with Marty St. Louis a bit more because the way he has grown since the coaching change, I think, is huge for him. And we're seeing not just more creativity with his shot, but a little bit more playmaking, too, to round out his game. Um, This is an interesting one because you could look at it two ways. You could look at it that the team did the right thing by signing him through his prime, through the proper years that he should be signed this big of a contract. And you can kind of look at, I think a lot of teams are doing this, like almost like an internal cap based on their first line center. You don't see players always exceed the first line center and Suzuki's money kind of set the benchmark of no one's exceeding this up front. So I think from that perspective, it makes sense. And I think it's a good bet in general, dollars and cents, but the short-term thing, I understand because there are players who want to bet on them on themselves. And when there isn't a future of known cap growth, you kind of cap yourself out on what you can be worth throughout the life of your contract. And if you bet on yourself for one or two years, you can really build on that value and then sign a bigger contract down the line, which is what you should want to do as a player, right? You should want to maximize your value. But there's something to having the certainty and there's something to wondering if you'd ever 
get that value up past Suzuki's then anyway. So if he had two superstar years as a team improves because he's been on a really bad team pretty much this whole time, you have that potential for it. But I see why he signed the contract now. Sarah, let's look at it from a team side. There are people saying, you know, kind of to Shana's point that this is a really good price if, big if, Cole Caulfield becomes at least closer to, I mean, he's put up 35, but can he be a perennial 40 goal scorer? Is he going to be that type of player from a team side of things? Was this a smart move? Do you like the deal? He's literally 22. I don't know about you, but he's feeling 22 and he has had injury prone seasons and situations where I think is the contract a bit expensive, especially in the light of knowing the cap isn't raising above more than 1 million. Yes. Did I think it was going to be a bridge deal? Yes. Is this the worst contract? No, I think he's going to round out into his prime in a few years. I don't think he's hit his prime. I don't think he's had some of the right situations to cook the way that he probably could cook. And what we've seen from him when he is cooking with the right line mates, with the right time on ice, especially, I think that's been a huge one. Then he has grown into things. And I just look at even a Jack Hughes, right? It's taken him a few years. I think this could end up being a good contract. I thought Caulfield's team or side of it would try to fight more for a bridge because they should be betting on him even more. But maybe it's just fair for everyone. That was I like a, it. But that was a Taylor Swift lyric at the start, Shana, just yes. so you know, it's all coming together. I actually do know that one because I'm not a total idiot and I don't live under a rock 90 99% of the time. No, I live on, I don't live under a rock all the time. Only 99% of the time. <laughs> this is going to become like the ceiling floor thing again. Let's just move I just, on from I that. just, my brain, my brain right now is just everything short circuiting. My internet short circuits, my brain short circuits, Mika short circuiting. We're just, it's, we've had better days, but it's okay. I, it's okay. But okay. with the Caulfield thing, the only thing that I think we should watch now for with the young contract trend, we, we saw Stutzla, we saw... Josh Norris, we saw Tajay, our friend, and Dylan Cousins. Now I think it's going to be what happens with like DeBrincat and Timo Meyer. Like, does this set the bar for them? Like, there's no way either one's going below eight million. Which did we think either one was before? But I think now it's kind of like, well, if Caulfield got this, that's a little bit higher than his value. How does it like impact uh, impact their next contracts? Not in fact. Oh my god. All right, let's move on then. Let's go <laughs> off the ice in terms of actual players and look at some other deals that are going down around the league. Um, this is just a quick one. I think it's it's uh, not surprising, um, but expected and certainly a vote of confidence for what has been going on with the Seattle Kraken. But Ron Francis was announced also to have an extension, an additional few years there for him. Um, I have talked about this both publicly and on this show too i just was really impressed we know his his hallmark is patience but i was really impressed with his ability to fine-tune a roster after last year and turn it into what could be done this season um, i think that was a really bold move i really liked jordan eberly told us in exit interviews that after the big trade deadline where basically they cleaned house at the end of last season um that ron francis met with some of the older guys and said this is not a rebuild we're looking to be competitive and i think that meant a lot to those guys who had gone through a lot just joining a new organization and all that. But uh, again, not a ton to say here because I don't think, again, this is a shock. But uh, Sarah, good news, bad news, good decision by the Kraken in your eyes? Yeah. I mean, I think he has done a lot that deserves to be patted on the back in retrospect. And it's kind of what he has always been. He if He's not nothing if he's not true to himself and his ways. You know what I mean? And I do think... It's an interesting turn of events for an expansion draft to have a GM like him, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Because he's not, he's going to be patient no matter what. He's going to get good people in the draft. And he already had knowledge of a lot of peripheral players that he had drafted himself or he was aware of in prior drafts in other positions that he said, okay, nobody knows a lot about this guy, but I'm going to snag him. And I, and I have this extensive knowledge, like I think about Morgan Geeky in particular with that situation. So obviously he has made a really good fit for himself there. And it's like credit to the team around him too. For sure. For sure. Shayna, you like this move for the Kraken? Yeah, I think he's done a good job so far. And I think he's shown an ability to build the team that you kind of have to trust him and let him play out like his vision. I think he did a really good job with that with Carolina. We saw 
like the years of building and where they are now. It's just a matter for them of taking the next steps. But obviously that's not his problem anymore. He got them to a certain point. So, you know, now he's he's playing this the way he wants to. And I, I like how he's addressed the team needs since last year. I think he was really smart in the offseason and we saw it pay off. I would say maybe it would should give him a GM of the year nod, but who's to who's, who's to, to really judge about that? <laughs> but he's he has a patient approach that I think, and he's not very reactionary. And I can appreciate that because I think in this league we see so many things, so many emotional men making so many emotional decisions. And <laughs> he's been very smart and it feels like he's prepared himself for a big move at the moment he feels it right. So I think that's when everyone will be like singing his praise. But I think it's all the work to this point that deserves it too. Mm. For sure. In terms of the people that GMs do hire, where it got some movement on the coaching carousel, we told you all and you all know that this is what happens this time of year is that we look at who's coming on behind the bench. We have one confirmation since we talked with you all last, and that was just announced Monday morning. Um, Anaheim has hired Greg Cronin, who uh, we were talking before we hit record and in full of uh, uh, transparency, we did not know a ton about this man, um, but we've done a little bit of work here. We're going to give you our initial impressions. My first one is, my God, man, good skincare routine, because apparently he's 60 and he doesn't look it at all. Um, but it appears to me, and I think we're all going to agree on this too, is that uh, they're bringing in someone that he was formerly the head coach of the organization's AHL affiliate. It seems he's had some good success there. And this is, again, a time to bring in a coach that this group feels like will be nicely tuned to the youth movement, another team looking to build around a young core with some really high-end talent, that that might be the fit that they see here. Sarah, you know a little bit more about his background, just connecting from your understanding of hockey, where he came from. Tell us what you know about the newest head coach for the Ducks. Yeah, Arlington, Massachusetts legend. He has a lot of experience, almost like he's in all these organizations. He was a, um assistant coach of the Maple Leafs. He hey. did a lot in the NHL too, and like an assistant coach level. But he also, what's interesting to me as it affects the Ducks and their youth movement is that he was the head coach of Northeastern and he's been really involved in college hockey. So I think it's an important skill set to have when transitioning these guys from being the little use that they are to being a core group. I think maybe he'll understand them better. And admittedly, we were saying earlier, we do not know that much about him, but a Northeastern guy is always okay in my book. Dana, we often give people crap because we talk about recycling coaches, but this again, uh, you know, based on our knowledge here, at least, and this is the first day we'll continue to learn more about this man, but uh, this looks to be a little bit of a different, a newer name higher. That's something that we usually encourage what do you know about this head coach, new head coach, or what are you going to be looking to have him tell you through his work with his new team? Yeah, he's like a new head coach, but he's not a new name out there, but it doesn't give Rick Bonus vibes. Like Rick Bonus, it was like he's been an old school assistant coach forever, and now someone's finally going to let him be head coach now that he wants it versus someone who has been in all different roles. He has some NHL experience, he has college experience, and he has HL experience with the team. I think a lot of us trust the minds behind in Colorado, like we, we look at the fact that this is a coach that brought up Bednar, you know, like they, there's good there. So I think it's encouraging too when you like connect the dots that way. I know we can't just put stock into it and say, well, he was with Colorado and Colorado trusted him. Therefore we should, but you know, I think that's a little bit of a boat of confidence. Um, He was someone that Boston looked at last year too, when they were hiring uh, Cassidy's replacement. So I think that's interesting. I just think the Ducks search has been a little bit quieter than everyone else's because everyone else is so loud and obnoxious. So we have they to just want to ruffle feathers. <laughs> there you go. Everyone was screaming oh. about Spencer Carberry because he was also a former Leafs assistant coach. So we have to yell louder about that. But no, I think I think it makes sense because Dallas Aikens was there for the development process, but you knew he wasn't going to be the guy to turn the corner for the next steps. So now they have that. So I'm going to be interested to see if he's the coach that grows with the team. And, you know, maybe he is because he has experience with young players and experience with just being an assistant coach on any old team. Um, or is he the coach that gets them to the next step? And then it's time for someone else to come in and be that specialist. Excellent. Well, this will be fun to watch. We like seeing new people get new opportunities and we'll see how this goes. So we'll watch Anaheim and see how that shakes out. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. 
It's got a high-res 120Hz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. This episode is brought to you by Chevrolet. Now's your chance to support a team with real grit. The Chevy ZR2 family of off-road trucks. The first ever Silverado HD ZR2 joins the all-new Colorado ZR2 and the Silverado ZR2 for a commanding lineup of off-road ready trucks. Equipped to take on anything this season throws their way. Visit Chevy.com to learn more. This message comes from NPR sponsor Atlassian. Together, some impossible things aren't so impossible. In fact, they become possible. That's why over 250,000 companies work together using Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello to tackle a few of their biggest challenges. With a little imagination and a whole lot of collaboration, the possibilities really could become endless. Atlassian, for projects impossible alone. Learn more at Atlassian.com. Um, there haven't been any other confirmed hires that we know of, but there are some rumblings. So let's talk about those very quickly. Um, it seems to be, and you know, when Aaron Portsline, who writes for The Athletic, ends up uh, basically confirming something about the Columbus Blue Jackets, that's the kind of news that I'm going to say is pretty locked up tight at this point. Um not signed yet. It appears they're waiting for the time to run out on the contract this individual still has with the, wait for it, Toronto Maple Leafs. Mike Babcock is apparently going to be the next head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, we talk about how organizations, when they have to let go of a coach, they often swing the other direction, going between a hard-nosed coach and a player's coach. Uh, the coach that they had just let go of was much more of a player-friendly individual. Mike Babcock certainly is not. Uh, Sarah, your thoughts when you started to hear this news break? Well, I saw Milan Lucic comment on one of the things, and it, he tagged Mike Commodore and said, get him as the D coach. <laughs> obviously Mike Commodore is going to have some things to say about Babcock. He hates him. And that's coming from a really tough guy. I, there's been the opposite of glowing reviews. There's somebody saying Babcock's the worst person he's ever met in his life. There is, it's just where to even begin with this kind of news. I think the way that we cover it, the way that People jump through hoops to justify certain hirings and justify, and it's not like he killed somebody or went to jail, but it just, people go back to, he's a good coach. No, he has underperformed everywhere after that Red Wings season. And he had one of the, I'm going to keep saying it. He had one of the best rosters of all time with the Red Wings. I I just think Where's the players that are coming forward to say, you know, with torts, there's players that come forward and say, I like this guy. He is a hard ass, but I like him. You don't see one player doing that. And you see the contrary with Babcock. And that is so uncommon to see so many people come forward and say they don't like him. I've talked to players who have played for him before, and it's a nightmare situation. And I know maybe he's gotten better. Where do we see that? He played, he was like assistant coach at one random, um, college school and you just college didn't see school. any you didn't never the fuck I'm just so this conversation just pisses me off so much. What else did I want to say? Oh, it's become clear that you mentioned the contract with the Maple Leafs and it's become clear his name keeps popping up more and more lately. And it's like, oh, was it ever about the kids and hearing them out and hearing their feedback? Or was it about waiting for this Toronto contract to expire to just hire him again? I don't understand why we are jumping at the bit, chomping at the bit, jumping at the opportunity, living under the rock to (laughs) grabbing onto the ceiling to hire this man. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's very concerning. I, the reports of how he's treated players are obviously really, really frustrating. Um, and then, you know, his defense of some of the Mitch Marner um, stories that came out was when he at first agreed to them and then later said, oh, I thought it was a different story. Man, you're an NHL head coach. You've been an NHL head coach. You know how media works. Like, don't try and if you didn't know what the story was, confirm it first. Like, that's on you, bro. Um 
and Columbus has had Aaron Portstein had a great piece on this on the athletic, you know, Columbus has brought in hard nosed head coaches before that everyone thought were going to be a disaster like John Tortorella. And it worked out great, but this is an individual that goes beyond just hard nosed, you know, as you're saying, Sarah, I guess, you know, even if we brush all that aside, if we drink the Kool-Aid and say the man deserves another chance, this man, to your point, Sarah, could not succeed in Detroit. He could not succeed. And I, it, as much shit as we talk about Toronto, he could not succeed with the young talent that that roster has. This is a Columbus organization that is also theme of the day, apparently, really trying to establish, establish a high end elite young core. Hockey is changing. This is a different game today. I, again, brush aside all of the off ice stuff, if that's the angle you want to take. I don't see how this man's systems and strategy is a fit for what I thought was the intention with the way the roster was being built in Columbus. Shana, what are your thoughts on that? That's like something that crossed my mind too. It feels like if a veteran team was going to do this, that said, we need to take the next steps. That's a, it's not that it's a different conversation because when the person is a bad person and hasn't done anything to prove otherwise, that's the conversation period, the end. But if they're going to excuse it, a team a little bit more, you would think veterans, a strong leadership group. Think of like the Bruins, right? Like a team like that, that has that strong leadership group that isn't afraid to speak up to authority and protect themselves and protect the players. Columbus isn't that right now. And it's, it's nothing against them. It's just, this is a young team. This is a team that you're trying to take the next steps. And I feel bad for Johnny Gaudreau too. Sorry. I think you mentioned it. Like he goes from Daryl Sutter to Mike Babcock, like, ah, that's, that's just terrible. It just, it just feels like there are so many options out there for what teams need, right? You need a rebuilding coach. You need a player development coach. You need this or that. You can find someone instead of going through the one, the recycled names to the people who don't seem worthy of this rare opportunity. There's 32 head coaching spots. Like I can't say it enough. And here's someone who has had every opportunity to talk to media and explain what he's learned different, the learn to be different. And hopefully the Blue Jackets get that, right? They can hold a press conference and have him be held accountable and talk about his growth. Then I think we're all having a different conversation. But until that happens, I think this is what keeps having to be talked about because it doesn't make sense to bring someone back without that conversation, especially for a team in the position they're in. Yeah, so we'll see what Columbus decides to do and, and what the fallout is there and how that all comes to be. Um, we don't necessarily like to speculate a lot on news like this, but again, we feel like that one seems pretty locked down at this point. There's one other opening that keeps getting talked about. We don't know who it's going to be to be behind the Rangers uh, bench coming next season, but we do know now at least one name that it's not going to be. Molly Walker reporting that it is not going to be the latest Mem Memorial Cup champion coach Patrick Waugh behind the bench. We don't know who it's going to be, but Sarah, you wanted to talk to about when we have an opening like this, and yes, it's taking a long time, just being a little bit more discerning and intentional in terms of what we take from media, but also for people who are in media, because I feel like everyone's name and their cousin has now been mentioned as confirmed to be the next head coach of the New York Rangers. And listen, I am not in the Rangers media, so I don't know. I'm sure with Drury and with a, a organization like this that is so notoriously closed-lipped, I'm sure people are getting wrong information and they are reporting it with the best intentions, right? Because they were told that. I've done that before. Don Waddell once told me they weren't trading Hayden Fleury and a day later they traded him and he was like, sorry, I have to take care of my player. I don't care about you. <laughs> you know what? That's actually fair. I yeah. have to be better. Like, that's my job. I should have said Don Waddell said this. But anyway, say that. I think everybody, what I'm getting so frustrated about in the Rangers media contingency, you can tell someone like Molly Walker or Vince, um, these are young people that are working really hard to get the correct scoop and get the respect of both fans and players and the front office. And they're doing such good work. And then you got some people that are just throwing things out that seem like they see other people saying things. And then they start saying, I've heard that too. I'm like, I'm sure you, you did, always, bestie. that's always <laughs> how it is. I've heard, I heard that, that too. too on Twitter.com from this person. So <laughs> I just want to give credit to Molly for always being diligent about stuff like this and for getting the scoops. It must be so frustrating. Just, I know like in the beat reporting world, when it's like people are trying to out scoop you 
when they're just looking on Twitter and like saying something vague. Can know, confirm. My favorite. Yeah. Can confirm. Just retweet yeah. it. Just retweet it. People. Just retweet it. Or they write out the same exact tweet like the Rangers will not be hiring X. Report it first. Bye. Just yeah. re- just, just just give retweet. their tweet the credit. Just retweet. Or even if you have to do a quote tweet because you mm-hmm. must speak. Say like mm-hmm. a good scoop here. Mm-hmm. Nice well, work by X. Like Indeed. Just- indeed. There is one more hire that we have to talk about, but it gets its own section. Shana, what time is it? Can't get enough of it. How does it affect the Leafs? How does it affect the Leafs? Well, in the last time, at least for now, that we will mention this individual's name and the Toronto Maple Leafs in the same sentence. It's not the last time. Is the fact that Kyle Dubas has been, or Dubas, as they said in the (laughs) actual press conference, was announced as president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, This is, you know what, listen, I, we talked a lot about how his comments in his press conference at the end of the Leafs, uh, excuse me, season may have contributed to the decision for him to move on. And so a lot of people were coming at Kyle Dubas for the fact that he's now at another place after he so vehemently said it was going to be Toronto or nowhere. I honestly listened to all of Dubas's uh, availability and I have no problem with him going somewhere else. The things changed, the terms changed. There was no longer an opportunity to stay in Toronto. So, hey, look, everyone who wants to work should have the opportunity to try and find a job. I have zero issue with that. I don't have time for the people coming after Kyle Dubas for going to another organization after all. But this is going to be interesting. And we had talked about this uh, last episode. I do believe this is going to be a very different challenge for him and not an easy one taking care of a roster with high-end talent, but aging high-end talent and not a lot of draft capital to keep that, that whole team fresh Sarah, do you like this move by Pittsburgh? And are we happy for Kyle Dubas? Yeah, we're thrilled for friend of the pod, Dial Kubis. And I think the president of hockey ops is, as much as it still is relevant and important, it's a less pressure, less publicity job. So I think when he thinks about his family and stuff, and he did say, if I'm going to be a GM, I'm going to be in Toronto, not just Toronto or bust. So I do think him becoming the president of hockey ops is kind of a different journey and other people can kind of take the heat. It's a more secure job too. So there's all that working in his favor there, but yeah, it's going to be a completely different situation with obviously Crosby and the boys. It was interesting to me as I listened to him take questions. Someone asked him about bringing analytics in and what he thought of the Penguins' capabilities there. And I, I think this isn't unfamiliar, I guess, to anyone who takes a new job. But he basically was like, "I I don't know what Pittsburgh has." <laughs> so like, I I was I was kind of dumbfounded when you really think about it. You've just signed on to run an entire hockey organization, mm. and you really in all fairness, and this is not a dig, like how much do you even know about what the hell is going on and what you're stepping into? Shana, do you think this is going to be a bigger challenge than Kyle Dubas maybe is expecting? Or do you think he's going to be prepared and be able to try and keep this thing on the tracks as much as possible? Rusty Kyle is going to be prepared because I'm going to send them the list of their hires and it'll be just fine. No, but like, I think that everyone has to like kind of take a breath about it because I think everyone wants to overemphasize everything he says because people get so upset that Kyle moved on. Like, I'm sorry. I like that we're on a first name basis. He doesn't even know this and that's totally okay. Of course Um, he does. He listens. He listens. He's listening right now. Hi, Kyle. Hope you're doing well. Hope the family's enjoying the move. Um, Because that's what friends do, you know. But the thing with it is, it's it's every part of this process, I feel like people are going to look at and be like, we need to shit on him for it because it's like the Toronto or nothing line. And then the fact that he went to Pittsburgh and, oh, did he leverage the Pittsburgh situation to get more money out of Toronto and things like that. But it feels like even if he knows what the Penguins have right now and you can on paper, it's different than seeing how it works day to day and what that front office is accustomed to because it might be completely different from what he's used to. He seems like a general manager who worked hand in hand with the analytics department and it trickled down through the whole organization in Pittsburgh. I think it used to be that way, but under Hextall, it doesn't seem to be the case. So I think even if he knows what's there on paper, he really doesn't know how it works until he's there hands on and getting involved in their process and now implementing his own. He doesn't even have a GM yet. He doesn't have any of his people there yet. So we'll have to see how it goes who becomes the GM, how he starts assigning work and working with what they have versus what he wants to do. So it's true. He definitely doesn't know the situation yet besides what we know, which is that this is not an easy one trying to maintain their competitiveness while you have your core players while not completely killing the future, especially 
after the deadline Pittsburgh just had. But, you know, what I deadline? think it's a challenge. <laughs> exactly. 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 Saddling themselves with Granlin for two years and now having to buy out those mistakes. Like, it's a tough one that he, that he has. I'm sure he knows it's going to be a challenge. Does he know how challenging it's going to be yet? I guess it depends who's going to work with him, too. Like, he has no idea what other general managers are going to do. Do they want to be like, we're on Brad's side. We hate you. Or, <laughs> hey, we'll work with you. We don't know. Everyone's petty. These are emotional men in different offices. So emotional. And I'd like to give you kudos there because you actually didn't end up answering my question and just talked about what you wanted to talk about, which is a pro media move. <laughs> so let's uh, let's I, get on. With I it. am I'm an expert at that. I thought you I pulled did me. Usually yeah. I do that. <laughs> let's get I on. I felt with like it, though. I there's, somewhat answered it. <laughs> there's actual hockey though to discuss, and this is as John Tortorella says, why you make your reputation in the playoffs because as the games dwindle. Wow, in number, reputation! What a that, reference. That wasn't actually a Taylor Swift reference, but. Okay. Uh, as, as, as the games dwindle, there's more and more time to focus on the players and the teams that remain. And in this case, it is two teams fighting it out to win the ultimate prize in the NHL. The Stanley Cup final is underway. Game one was on Saturday. Um, as we've already talked about, I was unable to watch this game live. I was a little busy. Um, but Vegas ends up taking... Busy doing this- what? Vegas ends up taking the first game in this series. It was interesting as I caught up on it too, because you see Florida come out, they get a shorthanded goal, which can be such a momentum push. Vegas comes back, it's a two to one lead. And then Florida is able to tie it right up right before intermission. But then in that third period is when Vegas pulls away. And if you do look at that third period, it was interesting to me. I heard um, interviews with both head coaches of these teams going into the final on the 32 Thoughts podcast. And one thing that Paul Maurice talked about was that the key was not going to be just getting to dangerous areas of the ice to create offense, but how you did it. And if you look at that third period, that is when Vegas really, really took over. While shot volume was kind of a crapshoot between the two, Vegas really took over the shot quality advantage in that third period. And they were aided by a crap ton of penalties taken by Florida, including a lost challenge for a high stick on an incredible Mark Stone goal. There was, of course, the save by Aiden Hill, mimicking a flashback to Braden Holtby and his a cup run that was in Vegas against the Golden Knights. Sarah, when you watch this game, I don't want us to make too much of this because it's only one game. And as we hope, this is going to be a series of responses and counters between the two teams as we go. Initial thoughts on game one any concerns any opportunities that you see coming for one team over the other well the way i see it if matthew kachuk is pointless you're going to have a bad game for the panthers and i think he hasn't been pointless in back-to-back games this postseason so we'll see his response in game two and if that i I think that's going to be so telling because he just paces that team and he had a dumb moment where he's kind of rough housing. And I get why he did that. And I think people are kind of clutching their pearls about it a little too much, but at the same time, it's a little stupid moment that if you don't get it together tonight, even the series, you're, you might look back on that and say, Hey, we should have kept it together or whatever. Or as Paul Maurice would say, everybody fucking breathe. <laughs> I think everybody does need to fucking breathe. And I've always thought this series was going to go to seven. I do think Vegas is like it just they have that ability to run away with a game and just keep going on their own momentum and they aren't afraid of anything and i think that's just so important come playoff time shana aiden hill has that tremendous play there was some really impressive goaltending maybe from the one that we didn't expect um but how did you assess the goaltending and then how impressive was it to see Vegas be able to break through Bobrovsky like they did? We, do you think it's rust? Do you think it's too much rust? Or do you think this is just a testament to what Vegas was able to figure out in, again, that battle to get to the dangerous areas of the ice? Aiden Hill was really impressive. And then that save, it's it's always nice for someone to like make a name for themselves in the playoffs. And I feel like that's kind of a big, it's a single save, right? Out of all the saves he made, out of all the games. But that's the one that people are going to remember, and rightfully so. But he's been so steady for them since taking over. And, he, and like we can't forget, when he took over, he hadn't played at the NHL level in over a month and a half, I think it was, because of his injury. Like It was it was a long gap be- between play, and he wasn't even the starter to start the postseason, not because he wasn't capable, but because they went with the hot hand. Like It's such an interesting situation. You know, They play a way that your goaltending doesn't have to be perfect, but in this postseason, we see how Vegas's penalty kill has been a little bit off and they've been allowing more quality chances back. And I think it makes it 
all the more important for him to be at that level. And he's answered, you know, he's it is answered the bell. Yes. Is that it? Yes. Yes. He answered the bell. How do you answer a bell? It's from boxing. Bell rings. It's from boxing. Oh, 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 okay. Okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, we're anyway, learning so much today. Bell. Yeah. He, he crushed it. Um, <laughs> as for Bob, Okay, I don't know if it's rust, and I don't want to make too much of the fact that he was below or just about average in that last game against Carolina to clinch a mm. series because, one, it's the Corsi Canes. Two, we know they can generate quality chances. Three, there was a ton of desperation there. But it is a little interesting to me that it's two games back-to-back straight, which we haven't seen from him. There's a huge gap of time between, so it could have been a rust thing. But my hot take, I think, from before the series started is going to stay. I don't think he's the story of this series. I feel like we saw this magical run from him and now he's going to be a little bit more average. I don't think it's going to be some huge dip from him, but I think it's going to be all the more important for Florida to step up and be the goal support to his goaltending, which they're perfectly capable of being, but it's going to be a little bit tougher against a team like Vegas who can go through stretches of a game where they're not as in it and seemingly engaged and they just make a difference in the last few seconds. Like that's what they're so capable of. So I think how we saw last game unfold where Kachuk did something stupid at the end. They were still four and a half minutes to go. He did that first Boston too, and it gets the team going and I understand that, but it's going to be more important to take advantage of those four minutes because those are the, that could be the difference in the game. Vegas is a team that if the you know script is flipped, they're going to be the ones to take advantage of those four minutes and kind of make you pay for it. So I think, I think Florida has to be sure that to the very last minute of the game that they're as on it as possible and trying to counterattack whatever Vegas has in store for them. You know, Sarah, you brought up the the Kachuk uh, point about him losing his cool at the end of the game. And I think back to that Stars game when everything fell apart and they got in huge penalty trouble. And it felt like to me that was the deciding game of the series, even though they would come back and, and push it to six. Um, again, it's early, but did the number, the sheer number of penalties that Florida ended up taking concern you in terms of their ability ability to stay composed. Of course, one of those, again, <clears throat> comes with a challenge lost by Paul Maurice. But do you worry about the composure of the Florida Panthers at all? Not until the end of game two. Um, I think that was kind of their first game where maybe they were truly rattled by, OK, they felt like they could come back. And this team has been so resilient coming back through everything. And now that they've scoped out the vibe of the Golden Knights that, oh, we've met our match to some degree. This team throws punches, right, answers the bell right back. Hey. I think they just have to. I, I think Maurice's message, everybody fucking breathe, is probably what he said to the locker room, too. And he is the best motivator a lot of players that have played for him will say, and I think that goes the other way too, of like, he knows when to keep players calm. So we'll see. We will see what happens in game two, but I think that's going to be huge. Right. Yeah. That was I, such a cool goal though, by stone. Oh, yeah. it and it's so, so cool. Uh, he's so bad. So it's, it's I love it when he's peak Mark stone. That was it. But I do find it so interesting that like we, the missed stoppage penalty, uh, coaches challenge is the one we see the least. And these are the two coaches, the only two coaches with, wins for that challenge are the two in this series like i wonder how confident maurice and his video staff were they're like okay we've done this one before we've gotten it right versus like goalie interference you look at it, you go it's crapshoot you know offside you, it's black and white pretty much most of the time missed stoppages are so challenging i wonder how much he was like confident about that and it was how much it deflated him too being like well, we've done this a, one before and got it right it wasn't a challenge for a missed stoppage it was a challenge for a high stick missed stoppage for the high stick Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Oh, I thought they were challenging yeah. my stick on the It, ha- on it has to goal. be that. Okay. It's, 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 they say it so weirdly, too. Like, that's dumb. They'll say, like, oh, it's a challenge for the high stick. Like, it can't. That's There's three types of challenges. And I sometimes I wish on the broadcast they were so clear about that mm-hmm. and, like, explaining them better. But there you go. There you, you go. Know. Now I've learned something. You know. And again, it, it was, it, I, I'm not trying to pick on the man, but it that was the, off of the Kachuk turnover, right? It was Kachuk that sent the pass up into the slot so no we should pick on him because that's yeah. how we get if we pick on Matthew Kachuk I feel like he just takes it and spits it back out at everyone yeah. proves us wrong channels and it, like spice it, it up that's yeah. why I like him he can take it yeah. that's true that's true Anthony Duclair had that tying goal there at that late in the period and you know this is a player that's been talked about a lot maybe not for all the right reasons um, are there other key players that you guys see from the Florida side that are trying to help pull this team back into it or that you want to see step up coming into game two, Sarah? 
Well, Bobrovsky is going to have to answer with a very, very strong performance. I don't think that was all on him by any means, but I do think some of the wins have been directly a result of his play. So I think you need that in the Stanley Cup final if you need it anywhere. I like Sam Bennett. I think he's been a really good calming, not calming force, but just kind of like he's usually performing at his best and the Panthers win. And I saw I liked his performance in game one. So that's my analysis. Montour, I could see some more. I'd like some more goals from him. Dana, what about on the Vegas side? You know, there's a lot being made. The narratives coming out of this are the misfits, the original players brought over in the expansion draft, including a couple who were former Panthers, uh, are getting it done. It's the whole finally coming true, even though it took a few more years than than Vegas wanted of of this vagabond team of players coming back and channeling again that energy to become a roaring machine that wins. Who on Vegas is impressing you right now? Shay Theodore impressed me a lot. Um, he's it's they have like a really nice setup how they can split up the matchups. But Petrangelo, it seems like, gets some of the primary ones a little bit more often. Like, he got McDavid a little bit more often last series, too. Um, but in this one, he got Kachuk, Petrangelo, and did not do well in those minutes at all. And Shea Theodore went up against the Barkoff line. He did a really good job containing them. And he went up against Aaron Ekblad and made him look like total shit. And I know he's having a bad year. It is not his usual standards. The one... Paul Maurice's flaw is that he breaks number one defenseman. I don't understand it. I wish mm. I had an answer for that one. Um, but it just feels like that's the vibe always. And Ekblad really struggled. But I, it's on the other side, you see Shea Theodore to, to have someone who can play the matchup game against anyone. You know, you have the two forwards that can, but you have the two defensemen, the two right-handed defensemen. Theodore, in his own right, is a number one, you know, and he was really good offensively, but he was really controlling minutes in his play. So he impressed me. And I feel like he doesn't, get the credit all the time because we're talking rightfully about, you know, Eichel, who is like the offensive quarterback this team was missing, you know, opposite Mark Stone. So rightfully so, but I think we need to highlight both. It's going to be interesting. And again, just like we talk about how the playoffs can be a time for wonky things to happen because there's not enough time for sample sizes to be big enough to regress to the mean. One game isn't going to freak us out, but after game two, which is tomorrow, we'll be back to you with our next episode to really start to look at what we're seeing this series develop into. We just hope for more entertaining hockey and we hope for it to go as long as possible with that we will wrap up this episode with everyone's favorite game, especially ours, and that is Fuck, Mary Kill. All right, here's the game. We've been going through the major NHL awards. We are down to our very last one, y'all. So that means for our listeners, if you have a suggestion for our next Fuck, Mary Kill, keep sending those in. We love to get them from you directly. Uh, Sarah, you're up first. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, here we go. This one won't spark debate. The Hart Trophy. Ready? Ready. Connor McDavid, David Pasternak, or Matthew Kachuk. Fuck, Mary kill. Let's go. Well, I have to kill Pasternak. As my, I feel like I keep killing Pasternak off, and I'm like, sorry, I love you. I love your mullet. Love your vibes. Love your outfits. Love your game. Like, he had an amazing season, but scoring was up more than ever in the NHL, or not ever, <laughs> me when I lie, Um, like since 2006 or something in the NHL this year. So it's like all these good seasons are getting overshadowed by Connor McDavid. So I am killing Pasternak. I am fucking Kachuk. And it just sucks because there needs to be like a separate award until right. McDavid's. But I, I do think he shouldn't just automatically win it every time. But this year he took his own game to new heights that weren't even possible. Like the way he's scoring when defense and goalies haven't been like everything is so elite and he just keeps he's in a league of his own. It's not even the NHL anymore. So obviously I have to marry him. That's an easy one. Dana, your choices. Okay, so. I'm going to go against how I voted because I've had more time to think about this one. Okay. Um, I would have gone with the same as Sarah, but I'm going to change it up. Process of elimination. I'm sorry, David Poshnock. We love you. We love you. Please come on the podcast. Rank our style. Teach us how to be better. Teach us how to play hockey and do everything really cool like you do. Like we want to be your bestie because um, we know you're listening. So I'm really, really, really sorry, David really sorry. I am going to fuck McDavid because yes, everything he's done is otherworldly. He picked it up when his friend, Leon Dreisaitl, friend of the pod also wasn't at his best in the regular season. But I think 
The Oilers, even if McDavid wasn't at that level, would have made the playoffs pretty well, but just maybe not as high in the standings. Um, the Panthers, I don't think, would have made the playoffs at all without Kachuk. He was the game changer, and he didn't do – he played without Barkov most of the year. They only put them together at one point to kind of spark the team, and he ended up carrying his own line with Nick Cousins and Sam Bennett. Like, that says something. I think he was the difference maker on and off the ice, and it's without anything of the playoffs in mind. It just feels like the more time has passed, it's like I do want to award. I feel like we it's not Connor McDavid fatigue, but I do think we should reward players like Kachuk for what he did for his efforts, especially it being a new team for him to come in and be that much of a difference maker. Um, but it does feel like he's going to get consmite, uh, you know, if they win. Even if, you know, some would say to go to Bob, I feel like he's going to get it. It's going to like make up for his troubles. Like, sorry, I didn't get the heart, but here's a consmite. But I will marry him winning it because one, I want to be different too. I think his season was that difference making and was like the prime reason they made the playoffs. Well, I, Shayna, guess what? You're going to agree with me. I agree with you. Wow. And here's why. You kind of stole my thunder. But if we go exactly to, and I wanted to find this to read it exactly, the Hart Trophy is given to, quote, the player adjudged to be the most valuable to his team. So if we go with those constraints, Connor McDavid may be the best player in the world, but I think that Kachuk's contributions to his team were far more valuable. And here's our defense of David Pashnak. Come on the podcast, talk to us, because it's not that you're not as good as these other two players. It's that that team had so many contributors, Mm -hmm. so many pieces that were bringing the team along and giving them that historic season that he wasn't most valuable. Right. So it's, not it, it's it's about the gap of contribution that you made. So that is why I agree. All right, my friends, that is it. Thank you for hanging with us. There's hockey tonight. We can't wait to see it, as can you. We'll be back with you Thursday to break down what we've seen through the first couple matchups. You can always follow us on social to share your thoughts. Until then, we are at two underscore much underscore man on both Twitter and Instagram. Check us out there. If you'd like to have some Too Many Men merch while you check us out there or listen to the pod or watch your hockey, Find all that you want to buy at TooManyMenMerch.com. And if you wear that gear or hold that gear and share with us a vibe check on social, you'll be entered into a drawing for even more Too Many Men merch. What more could you want out of life? And until we talk again, please do your part, no matter how big or small, to make sure that hockey truly is for everyone. Happy Pride, and we will talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.